passage tonight. What are sheep like? Because Jesus calls you a sheep. What are they like? What is the shepherd like? What are the false shepherds like? This is John 10, the word of the Lord. So Jesus again said to them, again, mixed crowd Pharisees and other people holding on to his every word. Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who come before me, all who came before me are thieves and robbers. But the sheep didn't listen to them. I'm the door. If anybody enters by me, he'll be saved and he'll go in and out and he'll find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who's a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and gets out of there, leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and he cares nothing for the sheep. But I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep too, they're not of this fold, and I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. It's for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. And then skipping ahead of you, verses to 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Let's pray, and we'll take a look at this passage together. Jesus, our good shepherd, uh, in this passage, you are shepherding. You are standing up for your people. You are protecting them from the wolves of these teachers, these hate-filled people filled with condemnation, with no idea of how a sinner could be in the presence of, of a God like you. Be a shepherd now, too. You're alive, you had authority to lay your life down, you had authority to pick your life up again and to be raised up, so now because you're alive, be a shepherd tonight. Gather your sheep, stoop down, speak to us in the ways you know we need you to speak to us. Help us and heal us, we pray. That we might have life in you and more abundantly in you. We pray this in your name, amen. Well, in his own eyes, Buzz Lightyear was a legitimate, real deal, bona fide superhero. I don't know when you saw the movie, but it's it's this kind of comedic relief throughout the movie with Buzz Lightyear in particular and his interactions with Woody and the other characters. Buzz's problem is he doesn't realize he's not real. He doesn't realize, like most of the other toys, that he's a toy, that he's ordinary, and so he goes on, like, he's got this little laser thing on his light, and you know what he does, it? he points it at stuff, and it shows the, the red light, and he thinks it's like burning stuff, or he's protecting people, and he kind of calls to Space Command, or Star Command, and calls him and sends his little report. He's got the wings on his back. And while he's falling, he always thinks he's flying. Well, do you remember the scene at the gas station where Woody has, like, had enough of it? He's like, what? Who are you? And he says, 
just fed up to buzz. Uh, he says, what? You're a toy. You're a little action figure. You're a child's plaything. Stop calling space command. Your laser doesn't do anything. And Buzz Lightler says, you're a sad, pitiful little man, and I feel sorry for you, and walks away. But the point of the scene is the secret's out at that point. Buzz has at least heard somebody tell him, you're not who you think you are, Buzz. You're not a real-life, bona fide, legit, real-deal superhero, space ranger. You're a toy. John 10 is a passage. It's a moment kind of like that, very, very different moment, but a moment with a similar thing going on where God is saying, the secret's out. The secret's out. You're a sheep. You're a sheep. The connection to it, and the reason my brain was going to this weird place way long ago with that scene uh, is because, I think like Buzz Lightyear, we have these self-perceptions like he did that are pretty divergent from reality a lot of times. Like him, we have these grandiose ideas about ourselves that I'm in control of everything, I'm an independent operator, I'm really sure of myself, I'm confident. I have these huge dreams, but in reality, a lot of times we know deep down, and we'll tell our close friends maybe, or admit to ourselves at least, I'm not so sure of myself, I'm not in control of very much, I don't know where I'm going, and I certainly don't feel grandiose. I feel really tiny. And in John 10, Jesus comes alongside of us, and maybe with less anger than Woody did, he says, hey, the secret's out. I see you as you are. You're a sheep. A lot of the confusion in our life, I think, comes out of that dissonance between who we really, 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 really think we are and who we actually are. So like with Buzz Lightyear, he's always like pointing the laser, calling Star Command, pulling his wings out, and he's, there's comical abundance of evidence and data that none of it's working, but he can't see it. Everybody else can, but he can't see it. And we're the same way in our lives. Uh, there's plenty of evidence in our lives that we are, in fact, sheep. We'll talk about what that means in just a second. But we've so believed this grandiose narrative about ourselves that it just kind of like with Buzz Lightyear goes over our head. Someone might even tell us, it's okay to be weak. It's okay to, to trip. Uh, and we look at them and we say something like Buzz said to Woody, you're a sad, pitiful little person. I feel sorry for you. And we walk away, back on our merry way with our grandiose ideas. So if Jesus has compared you to a sheep, what does that actually mean? Um, I feel comfortable delegating this point to YouTube. Just tonight, if you have like 30 minutes or an hour or six hours, just go type in stupid sheep and watch the videos. They're hilarious and they're awesome and they're plentiful. They can fill up your entire night. But that's kind of what sheep are. You should know this by this point in your life, especially if you've been around the church very much and heard a talk on sheep. But they're stunningly dull animals. Uh, I'm not a biologist. I'm not a wildlife guy, so I don't know for sure, but I would imagine sheep are not animals you would see appearing in the wild if there weren't kind of human beings to take care of them and protect them and guard them. Uh, you can go out west and see herds of antelope just off by themselves. I was in New Mexico this past weekend. We saw herds of elk off by themselves. You see stray dogs by themselves, independent stray cats, little squirrels, little birds, if you've ever seen a sheep just chilling out by itself, your brain is thinking future dinner for any of the animals around here. They're helpless, vulnerable animals. They're not self-starters. They're followers. Jesus says so in this passage. 
And he's talking to a crowd that um, all of them would be personally familiar. Someone in their family was a shepherd. Their family had a flock that they used for, you know, wool or whatever else. Uh, and he draws particular attention to certain characteristics of the sheep. One of them is they follow, they follow, they follow, they follow. They're not proactive, they're reactive. Uh, they're, they're skittish, they're anxious, they flee at the, at the drop of a hat, fearful, very aware uh, that they're not, in fact, Buzz Lightyear. Very aware of all of the threats around them uh, and very dependent. So to that original audience, hearing Jesus say, or a prophet say, y'all are sheep, wouldn't go down so well at first. <laughs> it, it, would be, I, it would be kind of insulting uh, because of the YouTube videos you're going to watch tonight. And he's saying, you're that. Of all the creatures that I made, you remind me of one of them. What, what? Oh yeah, a sheep. And you're like, uh, wait, what? A sheep? What, any other animals we remind you of? No, just a sheep. He compares us to that. But here's the thing. It sounds like bad news at first, but Jesus doesn't stop there and say, y'all are sheep. He says, and I'm the good shepherd, which immediately twists what he said when he compares us to sheep. Without hesitation, Jesus associates himself with this kind of low, humble, vulnerable, dependent little animal he's just compared us to. Without hesitation, there's no wait. You're sheep, I'm the shepherd. If God calls us sheep, it's good news because God calls himself the good shepherd. That's gonna be kind of the theme that we run with. I want you to, to hold on to that. If you're a sheep, it's okay if he's a shepherd and all that that involves. So what does it mean for us that the secret's out that God sees you as you are, as a sheep? If you kind of embrace the metaphor, if you accept the label and you say, okay, maybe I am a sheep. What does this mean for us? Um, we'll be brief. It means you don't have to try and escape your sheepishness or sheepiness, whatever you want to call it. God sees you as you are. He has named you. He has called you, labeled you sheep. So you don't have to run from those characteristics, the weakness, the vulnerability, the propensity to fear. We don't have to hide that, relabel it, rebrand it to him. He's the one who saw it and named it and compared us to it. He's aware of it. He knows who you really are. He's the Woody who says, hey, you're not, you're not, you're not who you posture to be. You're this. The pressure's off. You're this. You're a sheep. It also means that we're perfectly compatible with him if he's a shepherd. So to the extent that you listen to Jesus, the good shepherd, and you receive his words, you receive his diagnosis, you receive his comparison about you and humility, and you say, okay, I, I believe this shepherd who has told me that I'm a sheep. You're immediately compatible with him because he says he's the shepherd. What's more compatible with a shepherd than sheep? It's more than peanut butter and jelly. It's hand and glove. Shepherd, sheep. Sheep, shepherd. There's an there's a intimate compatibility there immediately. Your sheepiness, whatever we want to call that, does not disqualify you for the shepherd. In a sense, it qualifies you. It sends you to him. 
It opens the door to him. Let me say it more bluntly. Your sin qualifies you for the Savior of sinners. It doesn't disqualify you. Your guilt qualifies you for the lifter of guilt, the justifier. Your weakness qualifies you for the powerful one. If you accept this diagnosis that the shepherd gives you, if you listen to his voice, you follow that voice, you believe what he said about you, what he's actually doing is not rubbing your face in these things, but he's qualifying you for who he is. Here's the thing that we do as Southerners. I know you see it, you experience it, you probably say it, I do too, all of the above. If we're ever together with a buddy or a parent and we start tearing up and crying, what's the first thing a Southerner says? Oh, I'm, so, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cry. That's a sheep apologizing for being a sheep. Um, sometimes, you know, you might want to get together with a friend or a pastor or a counselor or a parent or whatever, and you just feel burdensome. You're like, I don't mean to be an imposition. I don't mean to be a burden, right? It's a good Southern thing to say. I feel like I'm imposing upon you. That's a sheep apologizing for being a sheep. Do you do that with God too? Or uh, I know we probably don't have that weird conversation with him in the air, like I apologize, I don't want to be a burden to you, I don't want to be an imposition, but do you just stay away because you feel like an imposition? You feel like a burden? You feel like you're always on the ask? You always are needy? And you're kind of sensing, I think he's kind of tired of the knock at the door, so I'm gonna kind of give this a little break, let a little time pass before he sees my neediness again. Um, so I've just noticed this pattern when I left the South. I was, we were gone for 10 years, Philadelphia and then New Mexico, and it just stands out to me uh, like a red flag now when, when we apologize for tearing up or say, I don't want to be a burden, I don't want to be an imposition. Because, friends, reality is all of us are burdens to each other, right? If you make an hour for me, I've imposed on your life, imposed on your time. Jesus is a good shepherd who says, I lay my life aside. I lay my life down for my sheep. That's him, in a sense, saying, of course you're burdensome to me. Of course you're an imposition. And you're a burden I gladly bear. You're an imposition I invite. So hear this before we even talk about what the shepherd is like. You don't have to apologize to God for being a sheep. He's the one who said you were a sheep. He's the one who thought it was a fitting metaphor, a fitting comparison. He welcomes your sheepiness. It's what he came for. We don't have to say, I feel like an imposition. He says, of course you're an imposition. I'm up for that. Of course you're a burden. What else does the cross of Jesus Christ say than you burdened me with your guilt? with your past, with your present, with your future. And what else does the cross of Jesus Christ say than I gladly bared that burden, willingly, out of my own authority. Nobody took my life from me. I voluntarily gave it away. I invite your imposition. I invite the burdensome. I invite the budding in. You're a sheep. That's what sheep are like. Stop apologizing and staying away because you're a sheep. Because... Jesus, God in the flesh, calls himself the shepherd. So what's the shepherd like? What's the nature of the shepherd? This good shepherd, this glad shepherd, as we're calling him in the title of this message. Well, first notice this. Let's get existential. Jesus says he is the good shepherd. He doesn't say, um, 
hold on, y'all, let me think of a metaphor. I guess the way I relate to you is kind of like a shepherd relates to a sheep. It's not a teaching tool. He says, I am the good shepherd. And when he does, we'll look at this in a few minutes, but he, he's picking up this rich kind of thread that goes throughout all of the Bible, all of redemptive history from the Old Testament prophets to this moment. God, the God of the Bible, the living God, the creator, was always known as the shepherd of his people. Jesus is saying, I am a shepherd. He's saying, it's my essence. He says it in this passage, I am the good shepherd, verse 11, verse 14. He says it in Psalm 23. David says it to the Lord, you are my shepherd. Not you're like a shepherd, you are my shepherd. It's not just Jesus's essence, it's his heart. He loves to be a shepherd. Ezekiel 34, this is another homework I'll delegate to you for the sake of time, but it's an entire long chapter in the Old Testament of God cross-examining all the pastors in Israel, the people who are supposed to be shepherds like God, to take care of his people, to, to spiritually nourish them, protect them, lead them, guide them, heal them, care for them. And Jesus takes up those words. He shows us that he is a shepherd at his heart. He says in Ezekiel 34, hundreds of years before this, I myself will seek out my sheep. I'll bind up the injured. I myself will bring back the strayed. Jesus doesn't delegate this job to anybody because he loves this job. He loves being a shepherd. It's his essence. It's his heart. It's his instinct. This very chapter, he says in verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Jesus' shepherdness is baked into him at the level of instinct. He laid down his life because it was the most natural, normal thing for a shepherd like Jesus to do. It's his reflex. You hit his knee, and he shepherds. He cares. He leads. He loves. He nourishes. It's not just his essence. It's not just his heart. It's not just his instincts. It's his calling, Matthew 15. I have come to gather the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and it's his delight and his duty. John 6, Trevor preached on this a few weeks ago. Jesus says, I will lose none of those the Father has given to me. And he says it here, nobody, Christian, will snatch you out of the Father's hand. Why? Because you have a shepherd. You're not a vulnerable little sheep sitting in a field waiting for who knows what to come and enjoy you for dinner. Nobody and nothing will snatch you out of his hand. Think, let's linger here and smell this rose for just a second. What does it mean for you that Jesus is a shepherd? Especially, what does it mean for you if, you're, if you've looked to Jesus, you've, you've heard his voice, you've followed him, what does it mean that he is a shepherd? Again, it means he does not resent your sheepiness. Imagine this, does a counselor resent a person out of desperation and hopelessness who picks up the phone and says, hey, I need someone to talk to. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm, I don't know if I can keep going. No. The counselor is a counselor because they had a heart and a passion to be a counselor. It's in their DNA. It's their instinct. They, they love to counsel. They don't resent that phone call. They say, of course. How about tomorrow at four? What can I do to help you now? It's baked into who they are. Does a nurse roll his eyes at the next patient getting rolled into the ER 
who's just in a state of on the verge of their life of utter helplessness? No, because that nurse is a nurse because out of compassion, out of love for medicine, love for people, wanted to help people in need. Why are they working in an ER if they don't want to help people in need? They don't resent the sick person for coming to the hospital. They're a nurse. What about a kindergarten teacher? My wife and I are kind of amateur kindergarten teachers now because Clark County still isn't open, and so we sit with our six-year-old as he sits for eight hours on an iPad every day, mostly my wife. And I've noticed now the calling, the beautiful calling of a kindergarten teacher. Some of you are training to be these people. If you put me as a kindergarten teacher, you send me up to Timothy Road for a week, or any of you, oh my goodness, we'd be the one calling the counselor. I need to get in today. Stay late. I'm driving in right now. All that immaturity, the distraction, the off-task, the, the just all the stuff that would be involved with a room full of five-year-olds. But does the kindergarten teacher hate it? Does he or she resent the five-year-olds for being five? Does he or she resent the fact that they're cognitively limited and can only learn about a letter a week? You can't rush it. Do they hate the five-year-olds for that? Do they push them away for that? Or are they in that very room because they love that aspect of teaching young children that way? They delight in it. Hear me, Jesus Christ, as presented in the Bible, is a glad shepherd. More than that counselor receiving the call from the counselee, more than the nurse seeing the hurting patient coming into the room, more than the kindergarten teacher patiently sitting there with a kid just trying to learn the letter B and what sounds it makes. He is a glad shepherd. He's not a nine-to-five wage earner, a hireling who doesn't care, who doesn't have skin in the game who's just in it to kind of dump information on you and go back to his world. Dane Ortland is a guy that I've quoted before. Julianne's leading a, a book study on this. He wrote the book, um, what's it called again? Uh, Gentle and Lowly. We'll get more out in the, in the weeks ahead for you to read, but this is what he says. Uh, imagine this hypothetical scenario. I'm gonna read it, it's a, it's a couple of paragraphs. He says, a compassionate doctor has traveled deep into the jungle to give medical care to a tribe afflicted with a contagious disease. He's correctly diagnosed the problem, and the antibiotics are prepared and available. He's independently wealthy. He has no need of being paid for this. But as he seeks to provide care, the diseased refuse his care. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. There's a little bit of Buzz Lightyear going on in this hypothetical. They don't know who they are. Finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive the care being freely provided. What does the doctor feel, Dane Ortland asks? Joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing. It's the whole reason the doctor came. How much more if the diseased aren't strangers but his own family members? So with us and so with Christ. Jesus does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness, for renewed pardon, with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point. It's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Jesus is the glad shepherd. 
he is glad to receive your sheepishness, your sheepiness, all of the things that we think are an imposition and a burden, because they are. But the surprise of the gospel is God welcomes burdens. He welcomes impositions. In fact, he commands them to come to him and be relieved. What difference does all of this make that Jesus is this way in your everyday life, in your thought life, in your emotions? What difference does it make? It means this. The glad shepherd is attentive to you even when you're not attentive to him. Louis Burkhoff, an old uh, biblical scholar, said, it's, isn't it a consoling thought that Jesus is praying for you even when you're negligent in your prayer life? Look, negligence in our prayer lives, kind of never praying, never dialoguing with our God, it's going to have an effect on you. It's going to dry up your insides. You're going to lose sight of him. You're going to lose the ability to hear his voice and be comforted by his voice. But did you know that even when you're not praying to Jesus, Jesus is praying for you? This shepherd is attentive to his sheep. This glad shepherd reads you like a book, and he's read you cover to cover, and he knows you better than you know yourself. Uh, I mentioned I was in New Mexico. I was at a wedding. Um, all my best friends from, from back there were there. We rented a couple of Airbnb houses, and it was awesome. It was the first time in two years we've been together, and you know what I'm describing. When you're with a group of people who know you inside and out, have read the book of your life cover to cover, and you're, you're finishing each other's jokes. You don't even have to finish the sentence and everybody's laughing because they know what you're going to say. They know what questions to ask you. They know what subjects not to bring up right now. Those are best friends. That's the glad shepherd. He has read you. He knows you. He knows how you need to hear things put so that they'll get through to you. He knows how much pain you might need to feel to wake up to listen to him. He knows your habitual struggles. He knows where you keep getting hung up. He knows where you have trouble trusting him and believing. He has read you like a book. This also means the glad shepherd has taken responsibility for you. Let that phrase sink in. God has taken responsibility for you if you have fled to Jesus for life. Religion is one long harassment that always says, be more responsible, take responsibility. Look, responsibility is not a bad thing. I'm not bashing that. I'm just, I want you, I want good news to just raise a little bit of a song in your heart to hear me say, if you are in Jesus, or if you're not, and you run to Jesus, even tonight, God takes responsibility for you by justifying you, washing you clean of your past, your present, your future, by giving you grace to sanctify you and purify you in your present, by giving grace to glorify you and give you a new destiny and a new trajectory. God takes responsibility for his sheep. He signs the papers over. You're his. You're his responsibility now. And he meets that responsibility beautifully. It means that this glad shepherd anticipates what you need before you know you need it. Some of you in here are like regular babysitters, and you might be the only ones who get this. But one day, if you become a parent, you're going to realize parents are like Jedi masters. They're always three or four steps ahead of where their kids' needs are. You, rookie mistake. You can't wait so your kids are hungry to make them lunch. Right? They melt down. Irretrievable loss. The rest of the day is ruined. You've got to be three or four steps ahead. 
You've got to be making lunch before, while they're still playing out in the yard. You've got to be reading them the quiet bedtime story after their shower and their smell all nice. You've got to do the quiet story 30 minutes before bedtime to get them ready for bed. You always have to be ahead of where they are to love them well. Jesus, though he is with you, he's also ahead of you. Three steps ahead anticipating what you're going to need around the next blind curve. Friends, this is why sometimes you don't understand why he's doing in you or with you what he's doing. You're like, what does this mean? Why does everything seem to be falling apart right now? Why are these doors closing? And we often see that as Jesus isn't with me now. What if he's three steps ahead of you? Preparing, opening doors, anticipating your needs before you got to them and became aware of them. The last thing I'll say about this before we get talk about the last point is this glad shepherd does not negotiate with anything that threatens his sheep. He is in full mama bear mode with anything that threatens his sheep. He does not negotiate with terrorists. He kills them. He does not negotiate with sin. He kills it. He does not negotiate or tolerate temptation. He kills it. He goes after it. This is why you hear him say things in the Gospels that are unsettling. If your right hand causes you to sin, Jesus says, cut it off. If your eye leads you away from me, gouge it out. He's, not, he's speaking hyperbolically in a sense with those examples, but he's saying, he's looking almost, if this is you, he's looking right over your shoulder and he's saying, run. He's aligning himself on your team. He's saying, you're on my team and we are against this nasty deathly thing that is going to destroy you. Hear me, friends. Jesus doesn't hate you because of your habitual sin. That thing that you keep falling into, he does not hate you because of that. He hates that. And he invites you to join him in his hatred, to join him in his battle as he wars against those things that war against you and me. The last thing I said we would talk about briefly is not just what are the sheep like, what's the glad shepherd like, but what are the false shepherds like, these false teachers that I've already mentioned he was directly speaking to and that also plague us. There are teachers out there, there are shepherds out there, some of them wear clerical collars and call themselves pastor or reverend or minister. Some of them are therapists, some of them are professors, some of them are parents, some of them are friends. And their ministry will be one that subtly teaches you, or that subtly uses your sheepiness against you. Subtly signals to you it's not okay to be weak. Barbara Duguid is a lady I knew up in Philadelphia. She's a counselor, brilliant woman. Um, and she, she wrote a book called Extravagant Grace. She says this in it. She just nails this right on the head. She says the silent message that these false shepherds are sending is deafening. Christians, this is the message they send to you and to me. Christians are supposed to be people who quickly grow and change. And if you're weak and if you're struggling, you must not be a believer. Or perhaps worse, you are a particularly bad Christian in whom God is very, very disappointed. Do you see how that message contradicts everything we've said so far? Jesus calls you a sheep and in the same sentence says, and I'm the good shepherd who lays down my life, who gladly bears your burdens, who allows you to impose upon me. Do you see why that's such a dastardly 
terrible, hellish message. It sends you, the sheep, directly away from the shepherd. It says you being a sheep makes you incompatible with Jesus, the good shepherd. And that's the loss of all losses. The voice of your good shepherd says that it is your places of weakness, your places of hardship, your places of struggle that should bring you to him. He invites those things specifically to him. These Pharisees that Jesus is lampooning here, that he's talking to, that he's correcting, are false shepherds. They're the ones who say, you being a sheep is the problem. These are the same people who condemned the woman at the well. It's the reason she was hiding, these false shepherds. These are the people who are condemning the blind man. These are the voices that somehow get into our heads and we begin to think of Jesus as a hireling. We confuse the message of the false shepherds with the good shepherd and we begin to think that he doesn't invite me close. Not after this week, not after two months of not praying, And he's saying the opposite in these moments. Jesus says he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. There's no other way to be a shepherd than to lay your life down for the sheep. Being a shepherd is an all-in or all-out endeavor. You can't half be in. That's the point he's making repeatedly about the wage earners, the nine-to-fivers. He's saying it's all or nothing. You, You eat, you live, you sleep, you walk, You rest with these sheep. You're all in it together, or you're not there at all. And Jesus is all in. How does he get to the point, as a 33-year-old, where he lays all of it down for the sake of sheep of all people? Not for the sake of eagles or tigers, or these are lions, these beautiful, majestic animals, but sheep. How does he get to that point? He'd been practicing every day of his life. Jesus didn't just lay down his life for the sake of his sheep on the cross. John's not just looking forward. John's looking behind. Every day of his life, Jesus is laying his life down for the sake of his weaklings, of his limping little sheep, scared and skittish little sheep, sheep that are foolish and do things they know they probably shouldn't do and want to change and want to distinguish his voice and hear him and follow him, but also sometimes get confused and listen to bad voices that lead them astray. I was at a meeting with a bunch of pastors recently, and one of the guys was sharing this illustration. I don't remember his name or else I'd tell you, but he said, at Christ's last supper, right before Jesus is crucified, on perhaps one of the most demanding and intimidating nights of his life, Jesus's attention was not chiefly drawn to himself and what he would face. His attention was on his sheep and what they would face. We're going to go read that prayer in a few weeks, John 17. It's this man, almost the last night he was here, about to be crucified, about to have the wrath of God poured out on him so that he could be your good shepherd, so that he could receive your weakness, receive your brokenness, your guilt. And his mind was not preoccupied and obsessed with him, him, him. He was on the give. He was laying down his life even before that final moment when he literally laid down his life for his sheep. If you know this, Jesus, can I be his voice for just a second and invite you back to be his burden again? 
Can I call you back, Christian, to come and be an imposition to your God again? He welcomes you. If you don't know him, Jesus says in this very passage, I have sheep that are not of this fold. They're not the regulars. They're not the religious people. They're not the Israelites in here. They're not the churchgoers. And if you're here and you're not the churchgoer, you have no history here. This is all new to you. Did you know that Jesus would throw your name down on the page here? And he says, I have sheep who don't feel comfortable in church. And I've gone to pursue them and gather them. So the invitation is there for you too. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, be this shepherd. Gather your sheep. Lift our burdens. Um, help us to hear your voice, a good voice. Help us to see you shoulder to shoulder with us against our sin, against our temptation, but not against us. I pray especially for any of those here tonight who are confused, they don't know what to do with this. I pray that you would meet them where they are and even this week not leave them stuck there. We pray all of this in your name. Amen.